Uh, we're going to study the gospel of John today. And if you have a Bible, we're going to go to chapter 18. Uh, the reason we're doing that is because Jesus is amazing. Jesus is beautiful. I, I want us to be a church that models everything we do off of Jesus. So the way that Jesus teaches and the way that Jesus heals and the way that Jesus prays and the way that Jesus does everything, I want to I I model our lives and our hearts off of Jesus. Amazing. And so if we can become a church that knows Jesus' ways, uh, I feel like we're on the right path. And so in, in John 18, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas, and he's about to be arrested and brought before Pilate, which is where we're going to end up today. Uh, we were supposed to be in chapter 11 today, so if this throws you off, Bible people, uh, it has the shortest verse in the Bible. Do you know what it is? Jesus wept. So in chapter 11, Jesus weeps with two women whose brother has died. Uh, and he knows, though, and this is the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus knows he's about to bring Lazarus back from the dead, but he weeps. And so if you're in here and you're like, man, I feel abandoned by God, I would dare to say that Jesus not only weeps with you, but he has the power to save you. I just summed up all of chapter 11 in the sermon you would have heard, except that two weeks ago, I felt like God wanted to do something different. And next week, I invited somebody to speak in my place, and it would have messed up the whole thing. So now we're in John chapter 18. Judas has betrayed him. Guards are coming. And here's King Jesus. Watch how he reacts. Watch what he does. Verse 4 of John 18. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Now, if Jesus is asking a question, whom do you seek, don't you think Jesus already knows the answer? Like, Jesus isn't dumb. Does Jesus know who they're seeking? Just, yes. Yes, he does, right? And so he's asking the question, not because he needs the information, because he's wanting them to have to come to grips with what they're doing. And that is what I feel God is do doing today in this room. Here's Jesus, who we sing, worthy of it all. Worthy are you, Lord. We love you. All of our hearts are yours. We bless you. Like we're praying these things. We're saying with our mouths one thing. What are you doing with your life? Does your life, does your life match that declaration? So what, what I feel most we do is we have Jesus in this box over here, and we go, Jesus, you're worthy, and that is true. Jesus is worthy of everything. There's no truer statement we've sung today. Jesus, you're worthy of everything. And what God has been showing me is there's probably a list of things that is not being given to him, that I'm holding back. Sometimes it's because I'm passive, because I'm a little bit cowardly. Sometimes it's because I, I don't have all the information I need, and I'm a guy that's like, I need all the information before I fully trust. But Jesus is like, come, come to me in faith. And so they come to Jesus. They say, who is you seek? And, he, and Jesus says, who do you seek? And here, here's a, a, two things are about to happen, which if you are a normal human being, if they happen to you, I would hope you'd be like, maybe we shouldn't do this. All right? And you'll see what I mean. Verse five, they answered him, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Right? So if you're going to arrest a man because some religious guys said, go, go get Jesus, arrest him and bring him here, and you get to this Jesus and he says, I am, which if you get into the Greek, that's what he said. There's no he in the Greek, there's just I am. 
Jesus says, I am. And not only are you like, I have that information, but you fall backwards and then fall on the ground. Are you not like, this is a bad idea. Like, we should not have done this, right? But they blow right through that little heart check, and they're like, we got, we're just going to keep going for it. And because Jesus is Jesus, oh, man, look how awesome he is. I think he probably reached down and, like, helped them up. Uh, and he said, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? Oh, I think probably with, like, a wink in his eye, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I'm him. That's just, I love Jesus. Like, Right? I, I, told, I just told you. Don't you remember you fell down when I told you? So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost not one. Whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. And what you're about to watch is you have Jesus, the God-man, the, the word, the living, eternal word made flesh, is about to surrender his will and his rights according to the plan of God that you might know him. Now here's the thing, there's, there's a guy in this little group with Jesus uh, that's not quite quick on the uptake, uh, and he's about to do another thing, and you would think, once again, if not only this man speaks and you fall down, but what's about to happen happens, you would stop as well. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear, right? And all the men in the room are like, that's what I would have done, Right? Except I would have cut his head off, right? So here's Peter. Peter's been asleep. Jesus woke Peter up. Said, you don't have a, even enough faith to stay awake and pray with me, Peter. Leads him into the garden. So I think Peter's probably a little bit like tired, not quite up quick on the uptake of like, why is Judas here? What are you doing? Jesus will get out of this. And then all of a sudden he realizes that it's not happening and his like masculine bravado comes out and he's like, ha ha, Right? Except Jesus doesn't, doesn't go along with that. He, the servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So Peter rebukes, or Jesus rebukes Peter. Says that's not what we do here. I will drink, I will accomplish, I will do the thing that the Father has called me to do. Now here's the thing, if you, I, read the Bible in its entirety. So if you go read this story, in the book of Luke. You go read this story in the book of Matthew, you'll read this dude's ears laying on the ground. Jesus walks over and grabs, it's pretty disgusting, but grabs that ear up, I don't know if he's like, and then slaps it back on the guy's head. Be healed, and it's restored, right? At what point in time do human beings not just stop and go, we really shouldn't do this now? Not only are his words powerful, he says his name to us and we fall down. But when we, when we are attacked and we are hurt, he heals us and we're here to arrest him, right? So there's the beauty, there's the mercy, there's the humility of our king, Jesus, going, all right, I'm ready to go do my father's mission for me, to drink the cup that he has given me to drink. And so you go on to... Verse 12, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and they bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, throughout this chapter, the apostle John is going to do one thing. He's constantly going to be like, this whole thing wasn't Caiaphas' plan. 
This whole thing was not the soldier's plan, Judas's plan, or your plan. This whole thing was ordained before time by God Almighty. And I say all that because Caiaphas had come out and said, it would be a good thing, it would be an awesome thing if one of us could be like the scapegoat, could be the one that could take all the blame, that could die for us so that all the Jews could go free. How truer words have been spoken, right? But when Caiaphas speaks it, and it's like a prophecy, he's hoping that it's the destruction of Jesus that will save them. And how little does he know, right? And the reason he's hoping that is because in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 22, I think, it says any man that is hung or dies hung on a tree is cursed by God. So he's got this prophecy out there of like, we're going to destroy Jesus and show that he's not from the Lord. And that's where you have John going, but this was God's plan. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews, they come together. I have said nothing in secret. So here's Jesus saying, hey man, I have interacted with you guys in the courtyard. Don't you remember when you ask me questions and I make you look like fools? That's what he's saying. I've taught with authority. I have never hidden a day in my life. I have walked wherever I'm supposed to walk. I have taught what I'm supposed to teach. I've healed everyone I've come in contact with. Which of those things do you think that I was hiding about? Right? And so here's Jesus, right? Many of you in this room, you know the teachings of Jesus. He is not hidden from you, right? And yet we still are holding outside of entering into the fullness of what God might want for us. Why? Fear? passivity, the unknown. I don't know what it is for you, but today the call from the Lord is put away your passivity and enter in. Stop knowing a lot about Jesus and know him. And so verse 21, why why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest?" Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But what, if what I said is right, why do you strike me? The amount of hesitation right there, right? The amount of, not hesitation, the amount of restraint by Jesus. That's the word I was looking for. The amount of just like, oh my gosh, do you know who you just smacked? If I was Jesus, I would have dropped a truly, truly, and then another like, I am he. Right there, Right? I'd have been like, truly, truly, I am he. And then he's like, like, right? And I'd been like, that's right, don't slap me, all right? But not Jesus, because Jesus knows why he came. Jesus knows that he's about to go die and put away this whole system that they're living under. Jesus knows that that this whole altar system and the holy of holies that they can't enter into, he's about to be the final sacrifice that's gonna pay for these men who are hitting him to come in. And he does the same thing for you and me. And so in verse 28, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, and it was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. If you want to know the blinding power of religion, you just read it. So these men, these Pharisees, Caiaphas, who's their leader, would not go into the house or the palace of the governor. Why? It would make them unclean. And then they couldn't eat their Passover meal and worship God. But who are they hitting? And who are they accusing? 
but the very word of God made flesh right there in front of them. But they can't see the blinding power of religion, all right? In verse 29, and so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. That's not a real answer, just so you know. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now there's a game being played right here. The Jews are trying to coerce Pilate into doing their dirty work. If you read history enough, and I know you all love history books, uh, at this point, it would not have been uncommon for the Jews to go outside of the law and stone people. Just like form a lynch mob, stone people to death, and Pilate to be like, I didn't see anything. So it was perfectly normal that this group of people would have, would have and could have just stoned Jesus to death. But why didn't they? Because they didn't just want to kill him. They just wanted to discredit him as well. He's not the Messiah. He's not the king of the Jews. He's not all that he said he is. And they had to prove it, once again, by forming a way to discredit Jesus. So once again, Pilate's got the power, then, to put Jesus on a cross. And I was misquoting it, but it's Deuteronomy 21-23. And it says, anyone who dies hanging on a tree is cursed by God. So you have the Pharisees, right? And they're like, I see what we can do. We'll coerce Pilate into crucifying Jesus, and then we can claim that he's cursed by God, and all this Messiah business goes right away. But once again, verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Like, that's the beauty of what's going on. Pilate's getting coerced. The Jews are like, ha, 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 right? And here's the thing. Pilate's in a rough spot. Up to this point, and you read history again, he had made many mistakes. There had been many riots. A couple people had died. And so Caesar is real unhappy with Pilate. The Jews know this. And so at one point in time, they're going to say to Pilate, if you don't do this, we're going to complain to Caesar. Because all Caesar wants is peace and taxes. And Pilate's got to provide that. So he's stuck a little bit. So in verse 33, so Pilate entered into his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests had delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Did you, did you hear that statement? Everyone who listens to truth listens to my voice. And what Pilate's about to do is go, eh. And I think that's just perfectly explained like in our culture right now. Pilate in verse 38 says, Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, right? So you ever met somebody at Miami that's like that? What is truth? 
right? I've met people like that. You start talking about Jesus being real and Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and they're like, well, how would we know? So here's Jesus. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Christians, everyone who's of the truth listens to Jesus' voice. And what we do is we play this game where we're like, here's Jesus, right? I know he's the way, the truth, and the life, but I just want to get close enough to Jesus to save me from hell. I don't want to get any more closer to Jesus so that he messes with my life, my money, my talking, my stock, like anything. Just save me, but get away from me. But Jesus says, if you want to know truth, if you want to know life, you come and listen to his voice. Pilate is going to wash his hands of Jesus. He's going to take the passive route. He's going to walk out to the crowd and go, this guy, this guy says this is the king, your king. His kingdom is somewhere else. He's no political threat. He, he, I have no accusation against him. And in verse 39, he's going to kind of come up with a little play for himself. So every year at Passover, the Jews were given an option. They could pick one man to go free from the Romans. And so in this particular situation, he has Jesus and he's got Barabbas. We'll talk about him in a second. Verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas, right? So here's what you got to know about Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber, a thief, and an insurrectionist. Like he wanted mass anarchy. He had hurt and hurt and killed a lot of people. So you have, here's Barabbas, a dirty, disgusting human being, right? Who's killed people, hurt people for a living. And here's Jesus, who fed 5,000 people, healed everybody he came in contact with, and was like, love people well. Which one you want? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify that guy. We want Barabbas, right? And it's because it's the gospel. So Barabbas goes free, Jesus goes to die. You go free, Jesus goes to die. Jesus takes our place. Jesus is our substitution, which is the gospel in a word. Jesus in my place. So you and I, I know we're wearing collared shirts and have cologne on, and we're, we're not like Barabbas at all, but we are. So if you take the holy perfection of God, now match yourself up to that. Normally what we do is we look at the most scumbag human being we can find, and we go, I'm not like that. I'm pretty good, Right? Well, that's not, the, that's not the scale. The scale is the holiness, the perfection, the worth of God. Now put yourself on that scale, right? So God's like, whoosh, right? Jesus goes, to the, Jesus goes to die, you go free. It's the gospel. And so in chapter 19 of John, it's gonna say that eventually Jesus just stood there and they accused him of things. And they hurled insults at him and they called him a heretic and that you spoke against the temple. And they're just going to bring all these accusations against Jesus. And here's the thing. If you're in a trial and you just stand there like this and don't say anything, what do they assume about you? That you're guilty? And so Jesus freely, the God man, the word become flesh, willingly lays down his life that you might be saved. And not just saved 
from your sin that one day you might go to heaven, that you might be saved into relationship that you were made for with God. It's the full reality of the whole thing that God's going to do in the end. And so what stands in contrast to me, well, here's Jesus, right? He's humble, he's getting slapped, he's speaking powerful words, and then there's Pilate. And there's only one word when I look at Pilate. It's like passivity, right? Pilate had the power. Pilate could have manned up and gone out and been like, there's nothing wrong with this man. I can't condemn him. He is free. Instead, he chickened out and was like, what is truth? That's what Pilate did, right? And so you and I play the same game with Jesus. And it reveals itself in what I'm just going to call passive Christianity, And passive Christianity, uh, I think if I was to summarize it, uh, is in a statement. Tomorrow, I'll. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'll start praying. Tomorrow, I'm going to get really serious about the word. Tomorrow, I'll really press into what God wants me to do. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Passive Christianity. I'll deal with Jesus in 20 years when I have kids of my own and they start asking spiritual questions. That's when I'll give God my whole heart. Tomorrow, someday in the future. Uh, I think it's also summarized by what I'll call you are content with dissatisfaction. You're content with it. Now, we don't talk about this in church, but I would guess mm, 77% of you in this room are dissatisfied with what's being offered by the church today. Maybe even this one. You know why? Because we're not giving you the real Jesus. You have summarized following Jesus by don't cuss, don't drink, and don't date people who do. That's a joke. My mom used to say that to me all the time, and she'd laugh. Right? That's, if I could sum up God's will for you and God's plan for you, it's simply some exterior moral obligations. No, that's not the gospel. If I could sum up knowing Jesus with you, it's that you would come here once a week and check off an attendance box. No, that's not the gospel, right? But you're, you're, we're, we're content with being dissatisfied because you weren't made to go to church every once a week. You were made to walk, talk, and be gods. That's what you were made for. And Jesus makes a way for that to happen. Jesus just didn't die to save you from the penalty of sin. He died to bring you into relationship with the Father. You were made to know God, know God, know God, and walk with him. And so when I look at passive Christianity, I think at its root, if I could really, really get spiritual eyes, I think it's when you look at people that go, man, I was praying this morning and the Lord was speaking to me. You go, that's not for me, that's for them. I think at, at its root, it's you look at people that feel like you see, they're like, that guy's bold. I could never be that. That guy actually gets it. I, I, don't, I don't get it. That guy, I think he's like on a level of tier of Christian that I wasn't made to be. And that is a lie from hell. You, it's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus right now, Open the door, and I'll come in and I'll eat with you. Come in and I'll, I'll dine with you. I'll talk to you. I'll save you, and I'll mold you, and I'll walk with you. And I, it's, just, it's amazing. It blows my mind every time I think about it. 
So if Jesus is the truth, he is worthy of it all. So we, we sing that song a lot, right? Jesus, you're worthy of it all. You know what the funny thing about the word all is? It means everything. Look, about, look at your life. Look at your life. Think about what you spent your time on and what you talked about and what you were passionate about and why when this morning, when you felt almost a leading from the Spirit of God to raise your hands, you're like, I can't do that. That's too much. You're right. Jesus is not worth that much. Right? I do it all the time. I felt the Lord tell me the other day, go tell that person I love them. And I was like, I don't know. That's weird. Right? As if Jesus is not worth me looking like a fool if they're like, I don't believe that. Well, I do. And so is Jesus, it's easy to say with our mouths, is it not? Jesus, you're worthy of it all. We love you. You have everything. And then our lives live something different. And I think it's because we're passive. I think it's because we're waiting. It's like we're almost hoping, I don't know, like I hope it's true, I hope it is true, enter in. And so what are you doing with Jesus is a question that just rolls. What are you doing with Jesus? Here's Pilate. He's got the God of everything in front of him and he's like, what is truth? What are you doing with Jesus? If it's true, it's worth everything. The testimony of the saints that have gone before us is that Jesus is worthy even to die for they would willingly give their lives if it would bring glory to Jesus. Do you live that way? I don't live that way. And the Holy Spirit of God is saying, come on, church. Come on, church. Stop being passive. Wake up. Your king is alive. And he's calling. He's calling. He's calling you to stop being passive and grab hold. He's calling you not to wait till tomorrow, but right now. And so I think a better question would be, what are you allowing Jesus to do with you? What are you allowing God to do with you? So for a more, more, big portion of my life, I had a box. I have talked about this box, but I put God in it. And I said, this is what God will do, and out here's what God will not do. And I won't go there because I'm not going to let God take me there because this is my box. And here's the thing. I I'm, will freely tell you. It was never a very like triumphant, like, yes, Lord, when this happened. But I would hear the Lord go, will you trust me and follow me here? And it would, but it was outside my box. It was always feeble. It was always like a, yeah, if I get you, I'll go. And then God came in and he gently is taking my box. And it's big now. And it, it, I, think he, I think he actually blew the box up somewhere like six months ago. God blew my box up because God, I don't want to confine him. All I'm asking for you today, it doesn't have to be this triumphant, like I believe with all my heart and all my soul. No, like I believe, help my unbelief. That's what I'm asking for. Like that weak, feeble, yeah, I'll follow you. Yeah, I'll step out. Yeah, I'll surrender that. Yeah, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now, yes, Lord. Tell them now, yes, Lord. Chickened out, still forgiveness and grace, yes, Lord. And so what are you allowing Jesus to do with you? Or is there a list of things that you're like, I, I know I said you're worthy of it all, but I really didn't mean my finances, my sex life, or what I watch. And I'm just at a point where if Jesus is real, and he is, then he's worth everything. If this isn't real, we need a better hobby. 
I'm not kidding. Like, if this isn't real, if the kingdom has not come, if the spirit has not been poured out, if God doesn't hear my prayers, then let's go skiing. Like, let's, whatever, let's do anything. But this is real. God is real. The power of God has been displayed. Jesus is here today. So I'll put a real, I'll put real tangibles on this. Let's say my wife, Anna, she's beautiful. We've all been married for 15 years. Let's just say this whole next week, I ignore her. I don't talk. Anytime she walks in the room, I'm like, <laughs> I just snub my nose at her. I don't even talk to her. Don't acknowledge her. She speaks to me and I don't even give her a hmm. I just don't even say anything. I don't look at her. I, don't, I mean, I, 15 years ago, I told her I loved her once, Right? I covenanted with her that I'd be around, I'd be in the same spot. But what, would, what, what, what do you think the appropriate response would be when I realized that I was ignoring Anna? What do you think the appropriate response should be? And everybody first service was like, I don't understand the question. If you understand, if you just ignored your wife, the only appropriate response is, I'm sorry and I repent. I'm sorry that I didn't acknowledge and love and cherish something that I was supposed to. So if we're the people of God and he's the king of heaven and earth and we have passively sat back and not pursued and not loved and not honored but sang about it a lot, then we should repent. And we should be like, I'm sorry, Lord. You're worthy of more than I've given you. You're more faithful than me. You're, more better. You're just better than me in every way. And I thank you for your grace and mercy. You're not condemned. You're invited. And so... Really quickly, and I can't do them all, I want to re-show you who this Jesus is, and then you can decide at the end of this if you want to put away your passivity. Uh, Colossians uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to read it over you, but if you're into a homework, you can also write down Hebrews chapter 3 and John chapter 1. They are all about Jesus. They are all about who he is and why he is worthy for you to be a fool, for you to die for, for you to give everything to Colossians 1, verse 15. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's our Jesus. That's Jesus. Powerful, who created everything for himself, which means he created you for himself. Stop holding out. Most of the time when we think about Jesus, we're like, he's trying to take from me. He's trying to limit me. He's trying to take my joy from me. He's trying to tell me I can't do sex this way and I can't drink this way. He's not taking from you. He's offering you life. Stop being passive. Stop being passive. I mean, I wouldn't yell at you. Stop being passive. He's worth either me being a complete psycho about or let's go home. Right? So here's where where I'm at, I, I want to pray for you. 
And not just me, but I want you to receive prayer today if you're ready to take your passivity and throw it in the trash and be like, no, no more. I want to be on fire. And I want, I want some of our prayer team, even me, and I'll be up here praying, put my hands on you and pray. The fire of God would just stir you up to be set free, to be crazy in love with Jesus, who's crazy in love with you. Uh, on top of that, if you have sin to confess, I don't want you to leave here today, confess it to another human being, and then let them pray for you. Or I don't know what your needs are. I prayed healing for a guy with Parkinson's first service. I'm not afraid to pray anything over your life at this point in my life. The last two weeks of my life of me be putting my hands on people and praying for them and watching stuff happen that freaks me out. God is alive. And he's powerful. And he bids you come. Come to him and meet life. And so the band's going to come up and they're just going to play softly. But this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray and say amen and then you'll be dismissed. But if you're going to talk about Taco Bell or where you're going to fight about where you're going to lunch, do that out there. But if you want to stay in this room and you want to pursue Jesus with me, I don't care if that's on your face by yourself worshiping or if you're up here getting prayer. But we're getting after the Lord and he's going to move. So Jesus, we honor you. We make space for you to do whatever you want. And what I notice all over the Bible is that when people encounter you, you set them free. There's freedom after encountering Jesus. And so some of us, we're not, we're not free because we're so afraid. So I just pray that this verse would become true in all of our lives in this room, that perfect love casts out fear. So when the perfect love of God fills me, I have nothing to be afraid of. No one can hurt me, and it compels me, God, to love like you do. So I pray your perfect love would cast out all fear in this room, that your love would be poured out, that you would call men and women, you call all of us in this room, God, to give you everything. Not tiptoe the line, but jump on in. And so, Lord, we come, and I'll be the first one. I repent, Father, I'm sorry that I say with my mouth, you're worthy of everything. And I at times live something that's way different than that. Forgive me, God, you are worthy. You are holy, you are good. And I thank you that there's mercy in your eyes. You're not trying to destroy us, you're trying to save us. So Holy Spirit, I ask just for boldness for my brothers and sisters, not to sit back, but to press in. Not to be passive anymore. Not to acknowledge, oh yeah, Jesus is awesome, he's cool, but not come to you. So Lord, we come to you now. Cut away that part of our hearts. Cut away the things that don't please you. Purify your bride. So prayer counselors, if you would, would you just go ahead and make your way up here so people can see you before they leave? So Lord, we sit before you again. So this is where we started service, sitting before you. God, I know it'll sound strange to some, but I pray that you would speak to your kids. You would speak. You would call. They would hear you. Not my voice, your voice. You're beautiful. I love following you. And so in these next moments, I pray that that revelation of like your, your beauty and your reality would be clear. We trust you. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, you're free to go, but if you need prayer for anything, healing, power, Holy Spirit, life, I don't care. We'll pray it over you. And there's not a prayer I won't pray over your life right now. So come up. If not, I love you. Jesus loves you too. I'll see you next week.
Our hearts adore. 